Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. True value. Assessing the value of something is actually not really very straightforward. In fact, there's even ambiguity in the value of the cash in your wallet or purse this morning. At one point in our nation's history, the money that was printed by the treasury was backed up by a certain amount of gold or silver or other precious metal. There was an assumption that you could trade the dollars in your pocket for a specific amount of gold or silver that the government had locked up in the United States Bullion Depository, which is next to Fort Knox. But when crises arose, such as like the Great Depression, governments decided to abandon those dependencies on currency, and they printed as much money as necessary to save their economies. It's also assumed that the volatility of gold prices helped contribute to the Great Depression. And so dropping those dependencies actually helped us recover. When the gold standard was dropped, money value was based on international impression of the economy of each nation that was printed in. And that nation's own economic security was also a factor. This is what we have today. The dollar bill is printed by the treasury. They don't reflect the amount of gold in our depository or in our reserves. Those dollars that we have are printed based, to, based on controlling economic factors such as inflation and to garner faith in the U.S. economy by other nations. It's more about impression than actual collateral. This way of operating wouldn't work for you or me as individuals. But it's how the national and international economies work. And in some ways, you might get the impression that the monetary system is kind of dishonest in some ways. In our passage today, which some biblical interpreters have labeled the dishonest manager, and some have labeled it as the shrewd manager, there's interesting questions raised about value. The sequence of events and the moral that Jesus derives from this parable are very confusing on several levels. But there are some helpful points that I think that we could gather from this story. <clears throat> in this parable, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> in this parable, the manager of a rich man is caught embezzling his master's money. This is more than embezzlement, actually. The manager not only stole his master's money, but he also uses it presumably for his own personal pleasures. It's not his money, so he's loose with it, spinning it to the point that his master eventually catches on. Something is not right. The master confronts him and tells them that he will be fired. So he's tasked with giving an accounting of the records that he's been keeping. The, man, the manager is devastated because he's too weak to make a living as a manual laborer, and he's too proud to be a beggar. So he decides to start working with some of his master's clients so that when he is fired, he might be able to find a way to make a living working through them. As a way of garnering favor, he starts offering these favors to other clients. 
In one case, he changes the debt record of a borrower from 100 jugs of olive oil to 50. And in another case, he takes the records for a debt of 100 containers of wheat and changes it to 80. Now notice how much debt these guys have. Each jug of olive oil was nine gallons. So they were in debt. The first guy was in debt by 900 gallons of olive oil. And also each container of wheat had 100 bushels in it. So the, the person that owed 100 bushels or owned 100 containers actually owed 1,000 bushels of wheat. These values tell us not only how much debt that they were in, but it also tells us how extremely rich the manager's master was. Now the next sentence in the statement that makes this one of the most confusing parables in the New Testament is Jesus tells us that the master's figured out that he has been cheated by the manager again, yet he commended the manager for cooking the books. He commended the manager because the manager had acted shrewdly, showing powers of sharp judgment. Many have struggled to make sense of this conclusion. They've offered several different interpretations or explanations that assume some details that are not really present in the gospel. For example, in one version, it's assumed that the rich man became extremely wealthy because he was charging excessive interest to other Israelites. So according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 19, Israelites are not supposed to charge any interest to other Israelites. So perhaps the manager was making amends on behalf of his rich master by forfeiting that interest. Okay. Well, in another scenario, it's assumed that the decrease in debt made by that manager may have been the equivalent of his own personal commission. So in that case, he wouldn't really be stealing from the rich master because he was giving away his own money. These hypothetical scenarios may help sense of the rich man's response, but I think it's more helpful to try to work with the information that we have in the gospel. After all, the next statement warns us that we may not literally or figuratively understand just what happened. Jesus explained that the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. The children of light are those who are more spiritually enlightened. So the statement could imply that the more spiritually enlightened we get, perhaps the less astute we become to the ways of the world. As we become more attuned to the virtues of honesty and moral fairness, we're less inclined to accept or understand how bending the rules could lead to a virtuous outcome. Now, this is not to say that dishonesty is admirable or even recommended, but there may be more value accrued in the consequences than lost in the shortcuts used to achieve those consequences. And also, I don't think that the ends will always justify the means, but it may be worthwhile to consider the ultimate outcome of our actions. In this case, the manager was focused on building relationships. He apparently had shifted from only serving his own personal interests while squandering the master's riches to serving the interests of others at his master's expense. Perhaps this is why the rich man was commending 
the manager. We don't know if the manager got his job back or fell into good graces with other clients. We could assume that they were very grateful to have some of their debts raised, even if it was through essentially dishonest wealth. But the concluding moral given to the disciples at the end of the parable is to make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into their eternal homes. We're to make use of the fake wealth to build things of real wealth. And it's fake in the sense that dishonest gains are not useful for building truly content lives that bear the fruits of the Spirit. But it can be real in the sense that it has power in the conventions of this generation to fight injustices or help with motivate constructive behaviors or support useful ministries. When used in this way, the fake wealth can help build treasures that will have a lasting existence in the kingdom of heaven, where moth and rust do not consume and thieves do not break in and steal. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that if the dishonest wealth goes away, you may be welcomed into eternal homes. But he says, when it is gone, you may be welcomed into eternal homes. The dishonest wealth of the world is guaranteed to go away. It will be lost. So ultimately, Jesus urges his disciples to be honest and faithful with the things that truly have great value. He knows how our tendencies and proclivities are visible in both the small and the great things in life in the seemingly inconsequential and the consequential. And if we can't be faithful with dishonest wealth, the fake wealth that is transitory, who will entrust us with true wealth, the eternal wealth? And similarly, if we're not faithful with someone else's wealth, how can we be entrusted to have our own? So all of this points to the statements at the very end of the passage that we cannot serve both God and earthly wealth. For we will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. The wealth of this world can be a means of helping others, and perhaps even helping us build the kingdom of heaven here on earth. But we must be vigilant in ensuring that it does not become our master. We must consciously make the decision to keep God as our master. But there is treasurely, treasure, heavenly treasure that the children of light can make use of in a way similar to how the dishonest manager operated. Clearly, all scripture leads us toward loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, because God seeks a relationship with us. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. And God seeks our love in return. Through the grace made possible by Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, we are offered salvation that the debts that we've accrued, the real debts of sin that are accounted for in the treasures of heaven, can be forgiven, and our relationship with God can be restored. And just as we can be forgiven for our debts, we are expected to offer forgiveness to each other. 
like the shrewd manager, Jesus encourages us to forgive the debts that others owe us, just as we have had our debts forgiven by him. And in that way, we may be welcomed into eternal homes. Jesus even made this lesson as part of the prayer that he taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, where it says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Of course, we have moments when we are more like the children of this world, and other moments when we're more like the children of light. Either way, we have the task of helping make the kingdom of heaven visible here on earth. Whether that's through using our financial resources or other means of influence at our disposal, or it's through solace and forgiveness that we offer to repentant neighbors who are ready to live a life focused on being a part of the kingdom community. We are tasked with being good stewards of the many blessings that God has given us. So I encourage you today to consider how might you help the presence of God become visible here on earth in this place, in your home, in the community. Use the transitory wealth at your disposal to make the world a better place and offer forgiveness to those who are looking for a way to create a clean slate and make amends for their past mistakes. In this way, you will build real wealth in the kingdom of God. Amen.